through the book of Psalms. We're going to specifically be in Psalm chapter 32 today. Psalm chapter 32. So if you take your Bibles and join me in turning there. If you have a pen, I'd encourage you to get a pen or pencil out. You'll need something to write with today. And then get the notes we've prepared for you out. And uh, we're going to enter into a study today that I believe can help everybody, but it very well may be the key that will unlock the, uh, the difficulty that you're going through at this moment. I believe it can be an incredibly helpful, encouraging message. About eight or nine weeks ago, I was traveling on Interstate 5, heading north, approaching the turnoff for the 76, and, and uh, as I approached that turnoff, the traffic slowed, which isn't a problem. It slows there often, but it was a problem when the guy behind me didn't notice that it was slowing. I looked in my rearview mirror and I discovered this guy's probably going to hit me. He just, you could tell, he wasn't paying attention to what was happening. And, and so as I was driving there, in, in a split second, I mean a nanosecond, I entertained a lot of thoughts. And, and one of the thoughts was, you know, maybe if I were to turn, I was in the slow lane, if I were to turn and get in the provisional or the safety lane, that would give him a few more feet and, and uh, then he, he wouldn't hit me. And as, as I had that thought, boom, he hit me. And that was the end of, of those thoughts. And... And all I had time to do was to turn my wheels just a little bit as I began to think, maybe if I get over, I'll give him some more space. Well, he never even hit his brakes. He hit me, and there was that impact. And then because my wheels were turned, now I'm facing the wrong direction. I hit the curb, and my truck jumped up. And then if you're familiar with that area, it goes way down there. And I went down the ravine and and, uh, rolling down there. And and, and the impact and the curb, that wasn't fun. The the trip down the hill wasn't bad, actually, okay, but... (laughs) But the rapid stop at the expense of a tree that, that fell over, that, that wasn't good either. And, and I've never been in an accident like that. And so uh, here I am, I'm, I'm sitting there at the, at the bottom of this hill and, and I'm having a lot of thoughts. And, and uh, I'm thinking, am I okay? You know, you kind of wonder those things. And, and finally, as, as uh, I was there, a police officer comes and, and uh, he asked me a couple questions that frankly I thought were irrelevant at that moment. Um, but he asked me, you know, was your seatbelt on and, and were you on your phone? And I'm thinking, how about can you breathe? Okay, questions like this first. And, and uh, so he got those out of the way. I don't know if that's, you know, they have a list they have to ask in that order or something. But, but uh, I couldn't get out of my truck. I was kind of on the side and I had to lift my door like almost up. And, and I said, well, could you help me get out of my truck? He said, sure. And uh, so I got out and he was helpful. And, and uh, he said, how are you? And to him, I said, I'm fine. Now, I didn't know if I was fine, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, it just, I didn't feel quite right. But he said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. I, I, uh, uh, with his help, I walked up to the, the, the hill, to, back to where the freeway uh, area was, and a police officer there said to me, how are you? I said, I'm fine. I met a third police officer on a motorcycle, and, and actually I recognized him right off. He recognized me. My wife had coached his children in softball, and he said, Steve, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And then the guy that hit me, he came over, and there was no question, you know, uh, about fault and all the rest. He said, man, I'm sure sorry. How are you? And I said, I'm fine. I don't know why I was so eager to tell everybody I was fine, because I just could tell something wasn't quite right, but I didn't know what it was yet, you know. And so I got in the tow truck with S&R towing, eight cars involved, and mine was the last one to leave the scene. And I'd just been sitting on the curb with kind of my head in my hands, like, something's wrong here, you know, and... And uh, so we, we left the scene, and Steve from, from the tow yard was kind enough to drop my truck off and give me a ride back to the church, and I called my insurance company, and they directed me to a rental car place, and so I called Lisa, and she picked me up, and we went and got the car, and, and uh, boy, it's a headache getting in a wreck, isn't it? A lot of things you got to do. And so then I went home, and when I sat down, finally, uh, Lisa gave me a handful of Advil, and, 
and she put some ice on my shoulders and that. She was really being nice to me, which is really one of the bright spots of getting in a car accident. You know, Lisa was so very nice to me. And uh, uh, so I'm sitting there, and I just, I'm really starting to stiffen up and not feel good at this point. And, and then the phone rings, and, and on the other end of the phone, I, I hear from uh, this man that he's now received my car, and he wants to repair it, my truck rather, and he needs me to come down and sign some paper. Well, I just sat down. I mean, I literally, I just sat down, you know. And uh, can you come down? So, all right, I'll go down there. Man, I'm really feeling bad now. And, and he's showing me the truck and all this. And so I signed a few things. I, I didn't even know what I was signing, you know. Just signing, signing, signing. And, and uh, so I had, I had to leave the repair yard. And that night, we were having a special service to get ready for, for Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Sunday. Some of you remember that night. I preached from a chair. There was more than one reason for that, okay? By that point in the evening, I wasn't feeling like standing up. And uh, uh, just hurting. And then I got home that night, and man, when it, when it was time for bed, there was just no comfort to be had. And uh, in the morning, things felt even worse. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound ridiculous, but you'll know what I'm talking about. I want you to know that pain got worse until it started to get better. And it didn't get better for me until I did something, frankly, that I was kind of nervous to do. It's not something I'm recommending you do. If you'd like to, you may. I'm not suggesting it would be the right approach for you. Got to be careful now, because I'm going to talk about chiropractic, and everybody has an opinion on that, all right? And that's not the point. For me, uh, man, I was hurting. And uh, Lisa said, you need to go and get an adjustment. Went to the chiropractor, and he began to take things and put them back in place, at least where he alleged that, that they should go. And, and I've got to tell you, for me, uh, it began to help. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful personally that, that I did something because had I done nothing, I wasn't seeing any improvement at all. It just seemed that it was getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, and then it began to get better. And as I prepared the message that I'm going to share with you this morning, that whole process went through my mind. And, and I began to think about that. And, and I think that, that sometimes when we have an occasion in our lives where we think or say or do something that is wrong, Something that is wrong. Guilt can emerge in our lives. And in that moment, when the accident occurs, so to speak, to use that analogy, someone can say, how are you doing? We'll say, I'm fine. Not a big deal. No problems here. This is not a big issue. But sometimes that guilt that starts off as just something small in that moment, relatively benign in that moment, it begins to grow, it begins to develop, it begins to morph into something that literally can take over our lives. It can be a part of something we think about every day of our lives. In a moment of pressure, we'll think of that event. When things aren't going right, we'll think it's probably because of that. And, and guilt can become a major problem in life, and that's why I'm so thankful that God in His Word has a lot to say about it. He really does. You see, there's joy and there's peace in life, not found in perfection, but found in forgiveness. And, and I want to talk with you about this today, and, and I hope that you'll follow along with your notes and so forth. But I want to begin by, by reading a scripture together, and if you'd be so kind as you join me in standing, that'd be great. I want us to look to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32. Uh, if you guys would humor me today, I really have this message on my heart. And if you got a cell phone, make sure that little hummer's in off position, all right? And, and if you just do your best to, to give me your heart on this matter, if this isn't for you today, it will be someday. We've got to get a hold of this. As we started this series, I told you, I don't know if these will be good sermons or not, and I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. I think it'll be good pastoring. We're addressing topics that in nearly 15 years here at Coastline, I've observed over and over and over, have caused people to unbuckle, 
and to move away from a position that they received by God's grace. And uh, I'll, I'll develop that more today. But I want us to look to Psalm 32. Would you look with me in verse 1? And it begins with the word blessed. And, and what a great word. A part of the meaning of that word blessed is, is happy, joy-filled. Uh, this is the life we're going for here. And the Bible says, blessed is he whose transgression <coughs> is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, and I love this, all right, this is David writing, he said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone that is godly, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. And I'm going to read on. We found now several times this little word Selah. And we, we oftentimes wonder exactly what that means. You could read a lot of different Bible dictionaries and get different variances on, on what that means. And, and basically, I think that word can be understood this way. It means just think about that one for a moment. All right? Think on that one for a moment. And, and some great statements are made in verse 7. The thought that God's our hiding place. We find refuge in Him and safety in Him and comfort in Him. And, and God is our hiding place. Verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I'll guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule. If anyone asks you, what would you learn in church today? You say, well, the pastor said, don't be like a mule, you know. And that's probably good advice, but this is God speaking to us. And, and he said, you know, don't be like a horse or a mule, which have no understanding. Whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I want you to go back, if you would, to verse 5. And uh, a couple statements I'm going to put together for sake of our study today and our understanding. In verse 5, David says this, I will confess, and he responds with these words, and thou forgavest. I will confess, and thou forgavest. Our Father, thank you for your word, for your love, for your grace. Bless this service today. Help us, Lord. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When the Lord put on my heart a desire to be a pastor, I prayed that he would make very clear where it was he wanted me to go and where he wanted me to serve. In fact, I, I asked the Lord as we talked about things if he'd let me be the kind of pastor that would stay at one church for a very, very long time. A, a typical pastor ministers normally three to four years in a normal church, a normal staff member two to three years. And, and so most churches have a turnover of their pastor about every, every three or four years, something like that. And, 
And I, I said, Lord, I'd love to just be a guy that could just grow old in a church. And then the kids that are in the nursery today, they'll push me out in time because I got too old. Right. That's how that works. And and now I'm 15 years into my ministry here with you at Coastline. And I'm grateful the Lord's allowed me to invest this many years in 15 years through the opportunity afforded me of observation and a little bit of longevity under my proverbial pastoral belt i've discovered that there are some occasions events moments in life where people who know the lord and love the lord i'm talking about christian people who who understand the the position they've received in christ by grace the the seat so to speak that they've received in christ they've they've unbuckled and walked away from the joy of their salvation. I'm not insinuating that that people have ceased to be Christians for once you're a believer, you're always a believer, but I've noticed there are some moments in time and some occasions along the way where people have traded in the joy of their salvation for what we're talking about today for guilt. Guilt. I want you to know that guilt has many devastating effects on our lives. Guilt destroys our confidence. Many times when we have guilt on our hearts, we're not really wanting to launch out by faith. We're uncertain. We're unsure. We don't know if we're fit or if we're qualified or if we're enabled. And, and yet we, we see that guilt has a negative consequence when we choose to carry it in life. There's an insecurity associated with guilt. And In fact, Solomon in Proverbs 28 and verse 1 told us this, that the wicked man flees when no one's even pursuing him. Why? Guilt, insecurity, uncertain. I want you to know today that guilt affects our relationships. Now, I'm not insinuating today that when you have guilt or when I have guilt that we stop talking altogether. We don't do that. We're a little bit more savvy than that, a little more sophisticated than that. But you know what I'm talking about. If you've had a time in your life where where guilt was something you were dealing with, there were areas in conversation you would not go. And you would direct the conversation this way. And there was a part of your heart you would not open up. And, And guilt has a way of working its way not only into our relationship with God in terms of our communication with Him, but our relationship with others when we know there's something in our lives that has not been dealt with we're pretty careful and cautious about who we spend time with and and what we say i want you to know that guilt keeps us from moving ahead and it keeps us tied to the past someone once said that guilt can't change the past just like worrying can't change the future but guilt can make you miserable today i want you to understand that when we have guilt it'll give us a headache It'll give us a stomach ache. It'll give us a heartache. Guilt just makes us feel bad all over. That's just part of, of its work in our lives. Now, this topic of guilt, friends, I want you to know, if I can have your attention for a moment, I want you to get this. This topic is not for the bad among us. This topic is for all of us. Every one of us, you see, the the Bible makes it very clear to us in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 that there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So what I'm talking about today, it's it's not something that uh, really I've just got with a few in mind or or maybe just some some general thought that's for only a few people. This is for every one of us. And, And when we don't deal with guilt as God would have us to, it affects us so deeply that growth will cease in our lives at the moment the guilt enters in. Now the text we read a moment ago, Psalm 32, is a great passage of scripture. It's inspired by God. This is God's word. It was penned by David. And David was a man after God's own heart. So we could conclude David was a great man. And I want you to know David was a great man. 
He was a great man of faith. David loved God. But David, like you and me, was not a perfect man. David knew the joy of obeying God, but David had to come to understand in the course of his life the joy of being recovered when the wheels fell off in the course of his life. David was a man who was a man of faith who loved God, but David was a man who committed the sin of adultery. And to try to cover up his adulterous affair, he, he took the husband of the wife uh, of the lady that he had an affair with and put him in a position in a war where he would certainly get killed. And in other words, he kind of masterminded this, this guy's death, and, and really that's murder by proxy and and so David was, was a man that, that knew both the, 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 the trauma of, of guilt, but he then would know the joy of forgiveness. And if David was good at anything, and David was good at a lot of things, he was an amazing person as he yielded to God. But one thing he was really good at was repenting. And what a good thing to, to be good at. He, he knew what it was to come before God and say, God, I, I was wrong here. I was wrong here. And so Psalm chapter 32 is written. It's a psalm that deals with forgiveness. It's one of seven psalms that deals with forgiveness. It's an important psalm. It's a key psalm. It was a psalm that was repeated by followers of, of Judaism. In fact, I want you to know today, this psalm was so important that when we move ahead and fast forward into the New Testament age, that the most prolific writer in the New Testament, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, had this psalm on his heart. Maybe the greatest work ever written on the grace and forgiveness of God is the New Testament book of Romans. And Paul tells us that it was Psalm 32 that was on his heart as he was writing the book of Romans. The Bible tells us in Romans 4 and verse 5 as Paul was writing. He said, you know, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know, the apostle Paul who was sharing with us what it was to be loved and accepted and forgiven by God and by God's grace, he pointed back to the words we're studying today in his time and said what powerful, powerful words were written by David in Psalm 32. In fact, before we even get to the psalm, perhaps your Bible, like my Bible, before the psalm has a little statement. In my Bible, before Psalm 32, it says this, a psalm of David, and then it has this word, masculine, M-A-S-C-H-I-L. How many of you have that little thing in your Bible there? Uh, I'm not certain that that's part of the inspired word of God per se, but, but it does give us a little background historically. And the word masculine means this, listen to this, remember this. And like some other psalms in the Bible, the psalm we're studying today was a psalm that when they would gather for worship, something similar to what we're doing today, they would sing this. They weren't to forget it. They were to be reminded often of the forgiveness of our God. I asked you a minute ago to get your notes and pen out, and if you've got those available, I want us to consider this first thought together today. I want us to see the grief caused by guilt. Ordinarily, I'll work my way through a text, and we'll go from one verse to the next, but I want us to skip past verses 1 and 2 for a moment and make our way down to verses 3 and 4. I want us to see here the grief caused by guilt. Listen to what David says. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Now, David was kind of a poetic guy, and of course, he lived in a different day, and I don't know that any of us talk about, you know, waxing old and all this kind of stuff, but, but as I read that, I kind of thought, David, what in the world are you saying? 
I've never heard anybody talk like that. I've never heard words used in a sentence like this. I've never heard a little per, another person in our time and space uh, uh, talk about this. But I came to understand that when David uh, talked about his bones waxing old and the roaring all the day long, that the roaring spoke of that voice in his head that would not stop repeating to him what it was that he knew that was wrong. It literally wore him out. It made him feel exhausted. It made him feel aged. He'd wake up in the morning and his voice would roar. You know what you did. You know what you did. And you know the people you heard along the way in the course of his day-to-day duties. As a king, he would need to be judged. And the voice would say, who are you to judge in this matter? You know what you've done. You need a judge not to be a judge. He'd maybe be playing with his kids and hoping the best for them and thinking, but what I'm hoping for them, I did not do myself. There was this voice in his own mind roaring all the day and it was just wearing him out. He went on to say, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of summer. Again, an unusual way to to speak. David, with poetic license, is making a point here. and, And he was saying this, I've lost my joy in life. I've lost my enthusiasm for life. I, I look down the road and really what was, what was really dreams and hope for me, man, I'm looking ahead now and I'm just seeing drought and difficulty. And, and he was obsessed with the thought that life for him was all but over. People who live with guilt often consider themselves to be marked and whether others see it or not in their heart, in their heart, they think life's never again going to be the same. It's never again going to be what it could have been. I'll never know the joy that I could have known. I want you to know today that guilt is a cruel taskmaster. It's a cruel taskmaster. It will plague us. It will wear us out. We see the grief caused by guilt. But I want us to see also in our study this morning the power of forgiveness. Now, if you'd be so kind to go back up to verses 1 and 2, I want us to see what it is that that God was, was sharing with us here, and we really need to be students for a moment to grasp the power uh, uh, of this truth. The psalm begins with the word blessed. Blessed. If you want to be blessed today, say amen. All right. Now, you all don't owe me anything. I understand that. But I'm asking you to do something. Would you pay close attention for a moment? You need this. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I need it. The Bible in Psalm 32 says blessed, and it's not the first psalm to begin with the word blessed. It's the second psalm to begin with the word blessed. The first psalm to begin with the word blessed is the first psalm in the Bible, Psalm chapter 1, where the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delights in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And it talks about the harvest, his increase, and it talks about a leaf that doesn't wither, wither, and, and whatever he does, it will prosper. The Bible in Psalm 1 basically says this, If you only get good counsel and only do the right thing, and you plant yourself down, you're going to find that God will bless your life. In other words, the blessing is for the person that does the right thing. The blessing is for the person that makes the right decisions. The blessing is for the person that's smart enough to know he doesn't know it all and he gets the right counsel along the way. And maybe you're like me and there's been a moment in time in your life where you think, well, if that is what is required to get a blessing from God, I, I don't meet that standard. Because frankly, you might say there have been times in my life where I didn't get the right counsel and I didn't do the right thing. And I, I, I can't say that, that that is a blessing I would have received. 
It's interesting to me that Psalm 32, the next psalm to begin with the word blessing, shares another way to get a blessing. And I want to be clear about who's eligible for this blessing. A moment ago, most of you said you wanted to be blessed through your amen, your affirmation. You were saying, I want to be blessed. Well, I want you to know what you have to do to be eligible for the blessing found in Psalm 32. You've got your pen out we talked about a moment ago and I want you to circle some words there on your note page or in your Bible because there's three things and you've got to do one or all of these three things to be eligible to receive the blessing in Psalm 32. As we look in verse 1, two of the things you have to do to get this blessing. The first one is, is this word, transgression. The next word is sin. So transgression or sin and then there's a final word and in verse 2 it's the word iniquity. Now, if we want to qualify for this blessing, these are the things the Bible says needs to be done. Now, let me help you understand what these words are so we can, we can be clear. The word transgression means to be defiant in the face of God, to rebel against God. It means to know right, but willfully to do wrong. The word sin means to miss the mark. You've heard me use the analogy of, of someone shooting a bow and arrow at a target and missing the target. They miss the mark. And, and the Bible tells us that all have sinned. We've, we've all come short of God's standard of perfection, of His glory. Sin means to miss the mark. The word iniquity means to be perverted or crooked. The word picture is a tree that has been twisted and, and messed up. Now, I'm being somewhat facetious today, but here's the point I want you to understand. God is saying in no uncertain terms. God is saying, specifically as, as we could possibly conceive of this, that there is not a single sin in the life of a single person that he cannot forgive. Maybe today you're thinking of a transgression where you knew what was right and you said, skip it, I'm doing wrong. Maybe it was an occasion where you just missed the mark, you were shooting for something good in life, but you just fell short. Maybe you got things so twisted up in your life, it's hard to know up from down. And, and the point of all of this is that all of our sins can be forgiven by God. And I'm thankful that God's forgiveness is more powerful than my sin with great confidence, David could say in Psalm 25 and 18, look upon mine affliction and my pain. And he says this, and forgive all of my sin. Now, I'm not here today to make light of sin. It's not light. But I'm here today to make much of our Savior who paid for our sin on the cross. I'm not elevating sin today. I'm elevating Jesus I want you to think of his love and his forgiveness and realize it's so powerful that he can restore us and he can bless us in spite of us. He's a great savior. Now we found there were, there were three words really that speak of, of our sin. Are you surprised to find out that God put three words in our text to speak of forgiveness? He's a very thorough God, you know. You had to match word for word. He wanted us to be sure of that. So if you still have your Bible open, you're going to find in, in these verses another series of words. Maybe you want to put a box around these or, or do something to draw a note to them. The words that we find that speak of forgiveness, of course, the first one would be forgiven. The next word is covered. So we see forgiven, we see covered. And then, and then finally, the Bible says it this way, imputeth not iniquity. Now, now look here for a moment. The word forgiven means this. It's a great word picture. The word forgiven literally means to lift a burden. So here's the picture. 
uh, we, we transgress against God, we, we sin, we, we do something that, that is iniquity, and we have a burden now of guilt, we've done something wrong, we're bearing this, and, and forgiveness from God is a word picture that he comes and he removes the weight, he forgives us. The Bible speaks of, of a covering, the word cover here means to conceal, here's the idea, God puts our sins forever out of his sight, forever. For the person of faith, I'm speaking today right now to Christians. I want you to know what happens with our sin when they're forgiven by God. They're put out of his sight. In fact, David in Psalm 103 said this in verse 12. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Micah in Micah 7.19 said this. He'll turn again. He'll have compassion upon us. He'll subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea of a husband who got in an argument with his wife and he's telling his friend all about it and he said you know i don't understand it every time we argue she just gets all historical on me and his friend said you mean hysterical don't you and he said no historical she's always dragging everything up from my past you know <laughs> let me tell you god never gets historical he never gets historical he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea. In Isaiah 43, 25, the Bible says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Friends, the joy of forgiveness comes to those we read about in, in the very end of verse 2. The Bible speaks of those in whose spirit there is no guile. That doesn't mean perfect people. That means people who are honest before God, ready to admit their need for the Lord. And so we see today the grief caused by guilt, the power of forgiveness. But I want us to find today as well the path to reconciliation. Now reconciliation, the word really means to put something back together, together again. And God can do that. In theory, in theory... That's what a chiropractor does for someone who's, whose back's out of, out of alignment. You've got problems. Uh, uh, he'll come in and he'll put things back where they belong. And, and God can do that in our lives as well. And I want to be clear that for the person of faith, God's forgiveness has been given. God's forgiveness has been given. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ, your sins passed present and future have all been forgiven by jesus christ in fact when jesus christ a couple thousand years ago hung suspended between heaven and earth on an old rugged cross when his blood flowed from his body he was paying for sins my sins and your sins and at that moment in time all of our sins were in the future nothing you do today takes god by surprise he's paid for it all when he shed his blood on the cross he paid for all sin for all time and and all of our sins were in the future now our fellowship with him however can be affected by our sin for example i'll use an analogy you guys can really understand probably it's like if a husband gets crabby with his wife or vice versa can you all understand that analogy four of you can all right let's try another analogy no i'm just kidding i, I think you can just trying to look all pious and everything on me i see how you are okay say a husband gets crabby with his wife well they're still married but You've got a little communion issue now. The union is there, but you've, the communion maybe is not all that it could be. 
the relationship's still established, but maybe you're having a hard time now talking. And, and, and in a similar sense, again, no analogy is a perfect analogy. We, we can see how that can happen in a relationship with God. If we're a believer, we're always a believer. But what our sin does, it kind of brings up barriers to that communicative process. I want you to know in Romans 12 and verse 10, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, if you're a believer today, you're a brethren or a sister in, okay? We're family. And the devil's the accuser of the brethren. You remember the book of Job? Satan walks into the presence of God, and there he is. He's accusing Job to God. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, please understand this. When Satan walks into the presence of God, so to speak, how it all happens, I don't know, but, but as, he, as he impresses uh, upon God, hey, have you seen that believer down there? He's the accuser of the brethren. Did you see what they did? Do you know where they've been? Do you know what they said? The gossip they've been involved in? Do you know the malice in their heart? You see, when, devil, when the devil's accusing brethren, the brethren and the sister into God, and he's pointing out to God the Father all the things that the children are doing, God the Father can look at, at, at Satan. God can judiciously look into the face of Satan and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I hear words coming out of your mouth, but... but you're not making any sense. It's a bunch of crazy talk. I don't even know what you're trying to say, Satan. Quit, quit making noise because you're not making any sense at all. And we would say, how could God, a holy God, a righteous God, the God of the universe, hear an accusation about me that is accurate, that is spot on accurate? And how can God honestly say, I don't even know what you're talking about, Satan? Because he's the God who forgives and he covers it, and he removes it, and he buries it. The Bible tells us he, he will not impute our sin to our account. It was put on the account of Jesus. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. So what do we do in a practical sense when we're under a load of guilt? How, how do we move on? If I'm a person of faith, if I'm a child of God, and all my sins have been forgiven, but I've done or said or thought or whatever, and man, it's just, it's on me. What do we do? I'm going to share a few thoughts with you that come right out of verse 5, and again, I find three more words. Forgive me, I'm not trying to be cute today, but God just keeps putting a series of words, and, and there's three words in verse 5 that I really believe shares with us what it is that needs to be done. The words are acknowledge confess, and forgave. What, what do we do? Here's the first thought. Number one, acknowledge our sin. The word acknowledge means to know or to reveal. And freedom from guilt begins with our own understanding of what we have done. Our own understanding. We may know, but sometimes we try to rationalize what we've done. And look, this is a big one. Living in the day in which we're living, everybody's got a reason for what they've done. I mean, you can think of something as blatant as can possibly be. You know, I mean, somebody can rob a bank, and it's like, well, I'm broke. I mean, I got bills to pay. I got things to do. And, and, and it's like, well, no, that's wrong. That's, that's not a gray area. And, and yet it, people can justify these things. 
And sometimes in our own lives, when we do things wrong, one reason is because we're, we're a house divided, man. We've got a voice that's roaring in our head saying, wrong, and you know it's wrong, and you did it anyway. And on the other side, we've got another voice going, yeah, but you had a really tough upbringing, and you went through this problem, and this has happened in your life, and, and we can kind of justify and rationalize all of it. And I'm not insinuating that everything in our life is altogether our fault, but I am asserting this in the strongest terms possible. Friends, we're never going to get past uh, the, those, those hurts and, and, and uh, hang-ups, so to speak, in our lives that, that are in front of us. We're never going to get over guilt in our lives if we're not willing, first and foremost, to own what we've done. And don't own what you haven't done. You see, a lot of times we say we feel guilty, and maybe it's not something we've done, but most of the time when I feel guilty, there's a reason for my guilt. Because I am guilty. I did it. And the first thing we've got to do is acknowledge it. Say, you know what? Yeah, this, this, I did this. I did this. This is talking about taking responsibility for what you've done or for what I've done. Acknowledge it. Number two, confess my sin. Now, acknowledge speaks of being honest with ourselves. That's what I mean by that. Don't, don't try to play Jedi mind tricks with yourself, you know. This is my uncle's fault or this is, you know. D- own it. Responsibility. That's acknowledge. Confession speaks in this sense of being honest with God. Now, I know he knows anyhow. But being the father and we, his children, if we're people of faith, he he wants us to be able to uh, be honest with him. I'm not sure what it is about hiding our sin, but it makes us captives. It makes us captives. And and, and what we need to do is hide in God, not from God. In verse 7, David told God that God was his hiding place. Here's what he said. God, I've done wrong. I'm battling with guilt. But rather than hiding from you because of the guilt in my life, I'm going to acknowledge my sin, not try and hide it. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to be honest with you. I I just want to get this out in the open between me and you, God. I want to acknowledge. I want to confess. And then this final thought is this. Accept God's forgiveness. We've got to accept it. It's a done issue. Now, you might need to ask forgiveness for someone else in your life, but so often guilt exists in the heart of those who have asked for forgiveness but are not accepting it. Or frankly, those who've received forgiveness from God but then give it back. You know what I mean, so to speak. It's like people, to use an analogy from last week, who've been upgraded from coach to business class, sitting in their business class seat. And feeling guilty, I didn't pay for this. And voluntarily unbuckling, walking to the back of the plane when they have a seat up here. A better seat. Guilt, guilt is bad. It'll hurt you. I'm saying today there's no need to cut off your potential in life moving forward from this point because you choose not to accept what God has given. And, and I want to say this today. Friends, Let it go. What are you trying to prove? Do you really think our God is so hateful that we score brownie points with him if we make ourselves miserable as a result of the things that we've done that are wrong, the sins, iniquities, and so forth that we've done? Do we really think God is going to be impressed with us if we choose to carry the burden of it? Let it go. Listen, I'm talking about marriages I've seen over the years at Coastline that have been squished because of something that, frankly, God would have just taken it. 
I'm not saying it's simple or easy all the time, but I'm saying there's a God of grace who says, you know, when I say forgive, I mean, I'll lift the burden right off you. The alternative is carrying it ourselves. God says, I can intervene. I can, I can help. I can encourage you. You see, being miserable doesn't qualify us for God's grace or forgiveness because you can't earn it or pay for it or deserve it. Yet it's been freely given. Accept yourself the way God does, the way God accepts you. In Ephesians 1 and 6, the Bible says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. You see, the acceptance of a Christian before God has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done or what we have to offer. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Now, forgiveness is not God looking at our sin and saying, Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. King's X, we'll pretend I wasn't looking. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Forgiveness is God looking at the sin of one of his children and saying, I already paid for that. The debt's been paid. The wrath that accompanies that sin was poured out on God the Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Is it all right? Absolutely not. But do I love you enough that as your father I've paid that that price, yes. And you see, that's why in verse 10, David says this. He that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Because if you don't trust in the Lord, that's how we receive this relationship. What's grace? It's God extending to us what we don't deserve. What's mercy? It's God keeping from us what we do deserve, all the bad stuff. And, and, and it all comes by way of trust. He that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Trust God. Trust God. If you're a Christian today, I would say, trust God. Uh, understand how he sees you. And, and understand what his forgiveness is all about. And if you're not a believer today, you can be. You can trust God for forgiveness, and, and you can receive that. Ask him. The final thought today is this. I want us to see the joy of the forgiven. Guilt ruins lives. It totally rips us off, okay? Now, we deserve any bad thing that comes along in that sense. I get it. But guilt robs God. Guilt rips God off. I want to share this thought with you. If you're here today and you're a believer and guilt is something that you deal with, and, and it all is, but, but you're, you're in it right now and you're thinking of something. And just when I said I'm mentioning that I'll be preaching today on, on guilt, you thought of that which makes you guilty. It's on you, Okay? If you're a child of God, if you're a believer and you're going through life and you've got a heart that's filled with guilt, you're using a container that doesn't belong to you. Your heart belongs to God. And if you're going through life with a heart that's holding uh, uh, guilt, it, it's filled to capacity with guilt. It, guilt is what you think about when, you, when you're alone. And guilt is what you think about when you're in a crowd. And guilt is what you're thinking about in the quiet moments and the, when you're going to sleep and all of that. You need to understand that God would say, I want your heart not to be filled with guilt. I'd rather your heart be filled with with gratitude, with joy, with praise. What does David say in verse 11? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Yet uh, ye righteous and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I love the way it says rejoice ye righteous. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Here's what some are thinking. Yeah, but I'm not righteous. Rejoice ye righteous. And you'd say, Pastor, if you knew. Where I've been, what I've been through, you go through it. But I'm not righteous. And I would say you're missing the, the point of this text. 
We need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. Understand the position that we gain by way of that which Jesus Christ has done. You see in Romans 8, 1, the Bible says this, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. None. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's our position. That's our seat. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. When we see God for the forgiving God that He is, we'll seek to move forward by yielding our lives to Him. Our motivation in life is not that God's going to squish us like the bug we are sometimes, right? <laughs> when, we're, when we're out of line, doing the wrong things, like, ah, you know, I better straighten up, God's going to squish me. Or He's going to throw a lightning bolt at me or whatever. No, our motivation should be, He is such a great God. He's done so much for me. He's a God of love. Oh, listen, that separates the God of the Bible, the true God, from all the other uh, uh, opposers, we'll call them. Uh, he's a God of love. And our motivation is his grace. There's a pastor I like to listen to on the radio and read his books, and he's been in heaven for many years. J. Vernon McGee's his name. And uh, he liked to tell the story when he was growing up, he used to get uh, spankings from his father, whoopings. How many of you got spankings growing up? Yeah, me too. And how, right? Oh, boy. Sometimes my mom would wear me out, and then my dad would wear me out when he got home just for good measure. And, and it didn't kill me, I guess. I, I, it probably was good for me. In fact, I'm sure it was. All right. But at any rate, I digress. Uh, Jay Vernon McGee, he'd tell a story when he was growing up, and he, he'd get whoopings, you know. And he said he noticed that when his dad would give him a swat, he had a tendency to inch forward. And you can imagine how that would work, right? And um, he'd inch forward. And he said the problem with that is the distance between he and his father as it would increase, it gave his father a little more momentum, a little more speed could be created, generated. So J. Vernon McGee thought, I'm probably not going to stop getting spankings, right? <laughs> he knew himself. Now, I'm probably going to keep getting spankings, so I better learn how to deal with these times a little better. So he decided, here's what I'll do. After every swat, I'm going to want to go forward. I'm actually going to take a half step back. I'm going to get closer. And uh, that's going to reduce the speed uh, with which dad can get that paddle cranking as it makes its way, you know, the, the board of learning to the seat of education. You know how that works. And <laughs> you know what he was saying? He's saying it's inevitable as children. We're going to have those times where we're going to do that, which is not pleasing to our father. God never punishes his children in a punitive sense. He never just gets ticked off and I'm going to make you pay for what you've done. It's never that. Now, he loves us enough to correct us. Loving correction. But you see, when we're going through a time like that, it's not a time to drift from God. It's time to get closer to him and say, God, I know you love me and you'd never do one thing to hurt me. And although I've done things to hurt you. You've said you'd forgive me. God, I want to draw close to your side. When guilt leads us from fellowship with God, it's leading us into a no man's land of loss and regret. And I've seen so many of those Christians with the glazed over look who've had not one or two, but 10 or 20 years go by between them and that incident, whatever it is. And they've just never again been the same. And it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. When we come to the Lord, we can do what David said in the final verse. He said, be glad. Be glad about our sin? Of course not. Be glad about our God. He's a great God. I wonder, would you all join me in standing this morning? I want us to think on this together today. He's a great God. 
As I introduced this series, I said, if you're not a believer, I'm glad you're here because you have an opportunity to hear what our God's all about, what the Christian life is all about. And, and really, this message was delivered to people of faith. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I went through an experience. I, I had a situation, a, a sin, a, a problem, a difficulty, and I was enjoying my position in Christ. I was rejoicing in who I am in Christ. But when the difficulty came, I kind of unbuckled. And I'm, I know that seat's still mine. Jesus gave it to me by his grace. I didn't pay for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He gave it to me. But you say, you know, I had, I had an experience, an event come into my life, and I've kind of been removed from from that place that God's given me. And, and maybe you're here today, you say, you know, Pastor, that, that was helpful for me. There's no need for me to carry this burden, this weight, this problem, this difficulty. I, I just, I'll let Jesus do what he said. He'll, he'll do it. He'll, he'll forget it. <coughs> Let's just bow our heads in, in a spirit of prayer. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, that, that message was actually, it was, it was good for me. It was good. One other of those about a testimony, just to quickly raise hand. Pastor, that's a, that's a topic that I need to hear about. Yeah, thanks so much. You can put your hands down. I think we can see why that psalm was one they needed to sing over and over because we need a truth like that often, regularly. Now listen, maybe you're here today. I, I want you to know that when I speak to believers, I say the, the forgiveness has already been extended. I'm, I'm not one of these legalistic pastors that stands up and says we've got to ask God to uh, you know, really forgive us in, in every situation. I, I believe His forgiveness has been extended. We may have to receive it, appropriate it in different ways at different times. But I want you to know for the child of God, the relationship is established. The forgiveness has been extended. All of our sins are covered by the blood. But you're here today day perhaps and in your heart you're thinking but I'm not sure if I'm really a Christian or not I'm not sure if I have that forgiveness I don't know what it is that I'm to do on the occasion there's something like that in my heart or my life and friends if I'm fulfilling my my obligation as a as a pastor of the word of God I've, I've got to say what the Bible says and the Bible tells us we can know that we have forgiveness we can know that we have a relationship with God. And I wouldn't ask you to take my word on it. But based on the Bible, this is something that we can know. Maybe you're here today in the privacy of this moment. You'd say, you know, Pastor, uh, yeah, I think that message was helpful for me. But, but in my heart, I'm just not sure that I know the joy of that forgiveness the way you're talking about it. I'm not sure that I have that relationship with God that, that you're talking about today. Maybe you just say, Pastor, think of me. Pray for me. That message was got me thinking. It was helpful for me. Are there those like that this morning about testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, or something for me. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Would you, would you help, help me today? Keep your hands up for a moment if you would. You say, Pastor, I, I need to know for sure what it is to have that forgiveness. Wonderful. Good. Thank you. you may put your hands down. Maybe there are other needs in your life. You'd just like to spend a moment in prayer with someone. Uh, be encouraged. We're going to have a time we call the invitation time now and and there will be some folks in the front that work with us here that would be happy to pray with you or to take their Bibles and, and do their best to, to help answer a question that may be on your heart. If you're not sure you're saved, they would love to talk with you about that. You've been saved and not baptized. We've had people baptized already today. And, and uh, maybe the Lord's putting on your heart to unite with the Coastline family. Follow his lead, would you? Ryan's going to lead us in singing. If you know the words, sing along. And as the singing begins, if you'd like to spend a moment in prayer, I'll invite you to come.